So if you want to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 20, and the book of Acts is victory no matter what. Victory no matter what, faith through, through our faith in Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the whole focus of the book of Acts, the power of the Holy Spirit. And the title for today is How to Grade Your Pastor. How to rate your pastor, how to grade your pastor. But this is God's report card. It's going to be a little different than some most people in America think of grading their pastor. This is God's report card, Acts 20, 25 to 38. And as I mentioned in my email, what if this was my last Sunday? I didn't say it was my last Sunday. I said, what if it was my last Sunday? If you read the rest of the passage, you would have known it. But I'm thrilled for everybody who got... I panicked and wrote me or called me because at least you read my email. Thank you. All right. So that's I wanted to find that out, too. And apparently Todd believed it because he's already bowing out, going to another church. He mentioned uh, <laughs> that church is gone, by the way. You can't go back. No, you can't go back. All right. So anyway, uh, just don't want to lose Todd. All right. All right. So what if this was my last Sunday here at NHCC, New Hope Community Church? What if I knew I was leaving for good? What if this was my last sermon? It's not, oh, only God knows, right? Could be, only God knows, right? Uh, you know, we can't plan anything. <clears throat> what if this was my last sermon, my last chance to encourage you? What if I was being hunted? Only a matter of time before they catch me and kill me. What would today be like? What would I say to you? The Apostle Paul was experiencing this very thing with the church in Ephesus, with the elders in Ephesus. Let's see what he says. And I think there's some real lessons for all of us from this passage. Father, we thank you for the worship. We thank you for everyone who's here or watching. We know that there's a purpose for each of our lives. And I pray that if anybody here has never put their faith in Jesus Christ, today would be that day. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so uh, first of all, last week we saw Acts 20, 22 to 24, where uh, Paul, we saw what he said last week. He says, and now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the test, The Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Remember that? And I hope you did memorize uh, at least that last verse, verse uh, 24, at least that one. But but we, we saw that Paul was compelled to pursue God's painful purpose for his life. We saw that. And now we see, we'll see what Paul says. He says, I'm, I'm compelled to go. I'm compelled to suffer. I'm compelled to complete my purpose. But now let's see what he says to the Ephesian elders in his farewell address. This is his last sermon, all right, to, to the Ephesians. And listen to what he says here. Now, I know that none of you among whom I've gone about preaching the kingdom of God will ever see me today. Therefore, I declare to you today that I'm innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning you, each of you, night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God 
and the word of his grace, which can build you up and then give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Wow. Some things really jump out at us from this last sermon regarding his ministry. And that's why I call it God's report card or, or how to grade your pastor. And we'll see how I do and how our, whoever, if you're watching, listening, how your pastor does. This is the right way to grade. In America today, we grade pastors by the wrong things, you know, charisma and, you know, uh, you know numbers. How much money, how big a church building, right? We grade pastors by the wrong thing. And, and this is how Paul says we're supposed to grade them regarding ministry. First of all, Paul loved his church. We can see this. It jumps out as he loved the people. They knew it and they loved him. Verses 37 and 8. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement they would never see his face again. Then he accompanied him to the ship. They, they, they loved him. And, and notice that, that Paul was a hugger. All right, so that's the first thing. Uh, uh, that's the first test of, of, of grading our pastor. And Ephesus was a hugging church, a hugging church, you know, just like New Hope Community Church. And I know some people who don't hug, they want to shake hands. That's fine. That's no problem. But, but, it, but, but it was a hugging church, and he was a hugger, right? And also, uh, he, he, he loved them. He was sad leaving them. He didn't have an exit plan. Half of the pastors in America, after the COVID shutdown, the underneath study, half of them are planning to leave. They're planning to retire, take an early retirement. Half because they're just they've had it. You know, the whole COVID thing really hit them hard. You've heard about quiet quitting in the workforce. Well, there's a lot of pastors want to quit quit loudly all right they're, 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 they have but Paul was different he was sad leaving them he, he didn't have an exit plan and notice the tears just like New Hope Community Church we've had some tears we have tears on a regular basis don't we Paul cried a lot uh, verse 31 so be uh, be on your guard remember that for three years I never stopped warning you each each of you kind uh, of Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. For three years, they had tears from Paul. He, he, was, he, he, had, he had tears there. And just like, um, sound, sounds like another church we know, right? Uh, and, and, and that's another mark of a godly pastor, the tears. <laughs> what are you laughing about, Paul? You know, all right. Paul, why, Paul cried because he cared. Paul cried because he cared. He cared about the people. He cared about their lives. He cared about their eternal lives right their eternity he cared what's that he loved them he, he he cared about their eternity paul cared about people he didn't care about their money verse 33 i have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing he didn't care about that. It's another mark of a godly pastor. They don't care about money. The most successful pastors in America today, you turn on your TVs at the biggest churches in America, they care about money. 
That's their number one concern. Now, there's a few wonderful exceptions, but the vast majority of these guys on TV, they just want your money. These word of faith preachers, you know, that's, that's their whole focus. And, and just shut those, shut them off. Look, yeah, there's a couple of good ones, Dr. David Jeremiah, different ones like that. Listen to them. But, but these other ones, <clears throat> occasionally we need to preach on giving, right? Occasionally tithing, got to preach on it. All right. Uh, we have to do, but because that's part of our spiritual growth is our giving and tithing. But we should always end the service with the gospel. Not with giving, you know, and, and not about money, what we want money. We don't even, we never talk about, we don't even have, we pass the plates. We've got a box if you happen to find it. Thank you. All right, but, but we don't talk about it, right? Uh, but so Paul, Paul was very different. He had a shepherd's heart. He refers to his shepherding in Acts 20, 28, where he says, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers be shepherds of the church of god which he bought with his own blood talking about that shepherding and this comes he's he's referring to ezekiel uh ezekiel 34 verse 7 says this therefore you shepherds hear the word of the lord as surely as they live declares the sovereign lord because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals and because my shepherds did not search for my flock but cared for themselves rather than for my flock therefore you shepherds hear the word of the lord this is what the sovereign lord says i am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock i will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves i will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them and paul is referring to that very thing talking about shepherding being shepherds of the church of god which he bought with his own blood paul was protective he was a shepherd he was protective of his flock that's what uh, uh, Pastor, the word pastor means shepherd. I was talking to a guy from Italy one time, and, and, and he goes, what, what do you call yourself? I said, Pastor. He goes, you call yourself a shepherd? You know, because that's in Italy, that's the same word. And Italian, the same word. And yes, it is the same the word. Paul shepherded them. He shepherded them. And this is an, another important part of his, his ministry and his report card. In verses 28 to 31, look once again, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among them, you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own numbers, men will arise to distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning you, warning each of you night and day with tears. He, was a, a, he shepherded them. Very, very important. He didn't just, uh, you know, he, he shepherded them. He warned them about false teachers. He was on his guard against wolves, against wolves. We have to be on our guard as pastors and each of us against wolves. They're slick. They're slimy. They come up through your own number. They just, just distort stuff a little bit to try to get people on their side, to win people over. Uh, but you got, we have to guard against wolves. Growing up on the farm, we didn't have wolves. We didn't even have coyotes. But uh, when I got a little old, when, after I left the farm and came back with the kids, there were coyotes all of a sudden. They had moved into our area. There was coyotes. And I remember the very first time we were at a big bonfire, first time I became aware there were coyotes, we had a big bonfire. My dad had a big fire that burned for four days. Yes, I got my Cairo uh, um, 
gene from him. Uh, he had this giant, giant, I think he was pushing with the tractor, and there, you know, it, was, it was massive. Uh, it literally burned for four days. And it was nighttime, it was bright, but we could hear coyotes. We're out at this bonfire, and we could hear coyotes, and we're like, what is that? My dad said, yeah, the coyotes are here. They've moved into our area. And so one of the kids, Matthew, said, I want to go back to the, the house. And so he walks back to the house. And then I think, Megan, did you walk back from the bonfire by yourself that time? Was it you? You don't remember? I think it was Megan. She was walking back, and they both said they, they, there was something following them. And, and, I was both the next, that, and they were both like, there's something following us. And I think maybe it was one of the dogs or something. And it was the coyotes trailing them back to the bar. I go, no more walking back by yourself. We were just a couple years, last summer, two summers ago, we were at the farm and we decided to camp out. And uh, Michael put up his hammock. Remember, Mike, you put up your hammock. And, but the, then I put up two tents for all the kids. And I was in one tent with the, the boys. And the girls were in one tent. Who was it? Was that you, Emily? Who was in with them? In the girls' tent? And so they were in there. And all of a sudden, you could hear the coyotes in the distance. Then it got closer. It got closer. <laughs> Closer. They were zeroing in. They knew we were there. They were like within like you know a hundred yards easy, even closer. We could hear the right in the field right next to us. You know, they were kind of like checking us out, you know. And and I said, everybody, just stay in your tents. Keep them zipped up. Stay in your tents. Don't open the tents. We're fine because they're all panicking, you know. And a little Laurel and everybody. And and I said, just stay in your tents. And it was it was like kind of funny but scary at the same time. And then Michael. Who I, I was counting on to help protect from the coyotes, he got out of his hammock and ran into the house. He took off on us and left us there. Because he was exposed. He goes, I'm exposed here, you know. So he went in the house, all right. So if you ever need protection from coyotes, don't take Michael. All right, so. So, but, but there was, we, we were trying to, and I was glad he went in because he was exposed. We didn't know what was going to happen. And so, but the, the, trying to protect the kids from the coyotes, we've got to watch for the coyotes. But the spiritually, the same thing is true. We pastors are called to protect not just their kids from coyotes, but but their 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 flock from wolves. That's what my job. That's an important job that God has given me. That's why you think I'm so paranoid. It's my job. You know, it's my job to be paranoid. And there are wolves everywhere. There's so much false teaching now. It's crazy. And so many Christians are getting sucked into this false teaching that is going on everywhere. These woke churches that were once my closest friends, these pastors and these churches were once sister churches. We're done. We have no connection. They've, been, they've, been, they've gone over the edge. There's so much. And so many Christians are getting sucked in. But I'm thankful to say very few people from our church, New York Community Church, have been sucked in, have been, have been deceived. Very few. You know why? Because I'm OCD. I'm paranoid. I'm watching you so close, right? You know, I, you know, because that's why. I'm telling you, you have no idea what I have had to go to the, to protect this church. Right from the start, remember the policemen being in our services because we're being attacked. Right from the start, from day one. But it wasn't just that. It was the sneak attacks that were really hard. The, the, I could show you, I've saved them email threads from people trying to get us to say something on, on email or that they could take to the papers. Remember the 
newspapers and, and the TV cameras being there before church telling lies. They never, they never interviewed me. They just interviewed the other side. And they just lie. Shocking, isn't it, that people would just lie like that? Anyway, uh, <clears throat> you know, we're, 20, we're always 20 years ahead here in New Hope, right? And, and there was it, it, you, so many sneak attacks, people trying to pretend they were Christians and, and saying, oh, yeah, and I believe this. Do you believe that too? They were just trying to get me to write something. And then I, then I would finally call them out. We played this cat and mouse talk about chess playing chess on, uh, you know, on the uh, on email and stuff, and, and then finally I expose them, and then they, you know, well, I hate you, you blankety-blankety-blank. Whoa, whoa, I thought you were a Christian looking for a church, you know, because I called them out. And uh, so crazy, crazy stuff. And, and the wolves that have crept into our church or have emerged from our number. Listen, we, we, there are so many churches that crash, that fall apart. That are divided by God's grace. We haven't done that here, and and it's be, but we have. Been, I've been on my guard by God's grace. Been on my guard. People have just only the elders and the deacons know all the stories of what has happened. People that were here that tried to divide our church, that tried to destroy our church, that actually cursed our church, said to me, "This church will never last. It's going to be gone in one year." They were trying to destroy our church. Demonized individuals. That, that were everybody didn't know. I, I, all of a sudden they're gone. There's a reason why all of a sudden they were gone. Elders, deacons, we confronted them right from the start and all the way through. We have had these consistent attacks on our church, people trying to take our church out. And it's a miracle we're still here. It's a miracle when so many others of churches are crashing all around us. It's a miracle. It's God's grace. But it's also because he made me OCD and paranoid, both, all right? So there's a reason. I remember Kim. I remember saying to Kim, and Kim and I had some battles because she's a peacekeeper. Don't mind waves, you know. And she, and I'm like, I this, I see Satan working. This individual is trying to. No, don't. It's done. And later on, boom. You know, it was all exposed. She's like, you are right again. You are right again. I'm not right all the time. Only a few times, but this is where I am right. You know, the discernment thing. And and I'm telling you, it's, it's crazy what what we've had to go through. Okay, so uh, okay, so let's see how I'm doing. Uh, on the report card. Crybaby, check. Uh, huggable, check. Right? Uh, no offering, check. Paranoid, two checks. All right? All right? Uh, but there's one more thing, one more test here, one more. <laughs> Are you laughing at me? All right, all right, sorry. <laughs> but, there, <laughs> but there's one more, and I saved the biggest test for last. Verses 25 to 27. Now, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the, God, the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I'm innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. That's the test. That's the test. Paul was not woke. Paul was not politically correct. He was Biblically correct. And the result was he was the innocent of the blood of all men. Innocent of the blood of all men. He's referring to, once again, Ezekiel. Ezekiel and the watchman on the wall in Ezekiel 33, starting with verse 7. Listen to what Ezekiel says, <clears throat> has written, Son of man, I have, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel, so hear the word I speak and give to them, and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, you wicked person, you will surely die, and you do not speak out to dissuade them from their ways, that 
wicked person will die for their sin, and I will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do warn that wicked person to turn from their ways, and they do not do so, they will die for their own sin, though you yourself will be saved. That's what Paul is talking about, being innocent of the blood of all men. Listen, I upset a lot of people. I've upset all of you at some time or another. I upset a lot of people preaching and admonishing. And that's my responsibility. That's my responsibility. Because someday I will stand before God and he will hold me accountable for that very thing. And God will hold you accountable for your response. My responsibility is to preach the word and, and talk, speak it to you individually and as, as a, as a, in preaching. But your response, your, God will hold you accountable for your response. My responsibility, your response. And I have a tough job. You may not realize it, but I like to be liked. I really do. It was torture going into ministry because I wanted everybody to like me. It's torture. I have a tough job. Second Timothy 4, 2-5 says this. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Are we in that time? Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside the myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. And going back to verse 2 there, where it says, uh, back to 2, back up to the first one, yeah. Preach the word, be prepared in season, out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage. That is my job. You know, most pastors in the USA only do one out of three. You know the song, two out of three ain't bad? Well, they, they, they have their new pastor song, one out of three ain't bad. What is the one they do? Encourage. That's the only one they will do. They will do anything not to offend people anything not to offend. They know the Bible. I know these guys. They know the Bible. They even believe the Bible, but they're unfaithful because they want to be successful and popular and liked. They want to be liked. And, and I, I, I remember one, I've been in lots of different churches on staff and parts of them, and I remember one pastor, he would, this guy would do anything. His whole goal in his ministry was not to offend somebody. Never wanted to offend. And as a result, he would allow shocking things in the church. And, and I would go to him saying, do you know the community's talking about our church because this is happening in our church? Like First Corinthians kind of stuff. I can't even tell you what it was. It was shocking. And, and he would say, don't say anything. Don't say anything. You're not allowed to say anything. And I'd be like. <laughs> and sure enough, later on, it would blow up. It would be evident to everybody. And, and it, he, his whole goal is not to offend you. You know what? Every time we had a staff meeting, you know what? The first thing we talked about, how many people were there and how much the offering was. Every time. Every time. And he's not alone. That's the majority of pastors in America now. Look at the Barna studies. That, that is the majority. It's tough being faithful 
as a pastor. It's tough being faithful as a Christian, right? It's tough being faithful. You're gonna, you, we're gonna lose, we lose friends who just hop over to another church. They go to their son's church. No, I'm kidding. That's not why they went to, no, Matthew. I, I'm just kidding. Matthew's not, a, not a, he's not an absolute. I'm having fun. Uh, God, you know, but that's enough. Two, four families, that's enough. All right. But, uh, but, but they just hop over. They really do. They just hop over to another church where nobody, nobody, uh, nobody does this. Nobody corrects and, 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 and encourages and admonishes. Nobody does that thing. Correct, rebuke, and admonish. Nobody do, uh, I'm sorry, correct, rebuke, and encourage. I'm mixing up a couple of pastoral's lists. But correct, rebuke, they don't correct. They don't rebuke. They just encourage. They hop over there. Nobody ever says anything. These are unfaithful churches. Uh, you know, I, we have people that I find out are living together. And I say, you can't live together. You know, you've got, you've got to get married. We go to work this out. But what do they do? They hop over to another church. Someone wants to marry a non-Christian, which goes against God's word. You know how many people I've lost in this, over the years in ministry, 35 years, whatever it's been? 1 Corinthians 6.14. Uh, I did the wrong one there. Uh, I got Second I, I, Corinthians 6.14. Second Corinthians 6.14. I'll just do it. Uh, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship can light have with darkness or what? Yeah, I'm ah, mixing it up. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship can light have with darkness or righteousness with wickedness? Okay, I gave you my version. Okay, right. But do not be yoked together. Don't be connected together with, with an unbeliever. Second Corinthians 6, 4, uh, 6.14. Uh, you, you, you can't marry a non-believer. It, you cannot do it. If you do it, there will be consequences. And it's not just marriage. Yoking, you yoke the two cows together. You hook them together with the ox yoke. You know, that's what he's talking about. You can't be connected. That goes for business. That goes for other things that you're too connected, even emotionally. Too connected. You can't do it. Very, very important not to do it. But if, uh, when I can tell someone that, they just go to another church and another pastor marries them. It's crazy. Or divorce and remarriage. And, you, uh, you know, if, if you if you divorce your spouse, and I, we always start once they become a Christian. I don't start before that because it's, this is just a mess, right? But once you become a Christian, we start there. If someone then divorces their spouse as a Christian, and for no good reason, no biblical reason, there's not been perpetual adultery, there hasn't been abandonment, I tell them, you can never, if you divorce this person, you can never get married again, ever. And, and if you do, you will, be under, you will not be under God's blessing. You will be under God's discipline. Under God's discipline. And <clears throat> some people listen, but the vast majority don't. They don't listen. They, they, they go out and find someone who else will, will, will go along with it. I remember one lady who was in a church of mine in the past. She, um, she was divorced, and she wanted to get remarried. And I said to her, well, what about your husband? Where's your husband at? Has he remarried? Has he you know, gone? No, no, he still wants to get back together with me. I said, well, you only have one option. Then you can continue to live the way you're living, single and celibate, or you can go back to your husband who wants to get back to it. He's waiting for you. All these years later, he's waiting. You cannot marry this new person. But she went out and found, <clears throat> and she, by this time she was already in another church. She was coming back to me for advice. She was at a, a very well-known ministry in New York. If I said it, you would say, I read his book. I did this. I did Really well-known. And she said, well, the pastor of this famous ministry, she rubbed it in my face, uh, big church, he says I can do it. And I also talked to four other pastors, so five pastors. They were all my friends. Talked to them, 
And they all said, yes, you can get remarried. It's okay. Go ahead. You're in love. Get married. And these are pastors, some of you know, said, go ahead. She goes, so you're the only one. It's you against five pastors. And this, this guy's really famous, too, by the way. I said, I don't care if you get 100 pastors telling you that. It's wrong. It's wrong. And I hope, I pray to God you won't do it. I pray that you'll follow God's word. You better go back to your husband or stay single and celibate. She got married by this famous pastor. And a year later, she came back to me and said, I'm living in hell. I should have listened to you. This guy I married is a monster. I'm in, I'm in I'm excruciating pain where I am. And you are the only one to tell me the truth. And I, sure enough, I'm not under God's blessing. So many, so many. I've seen it here at New Hope Community Church over and over again. Someone wants to do the wrong thing, divorce, and then get remarried. First of all, you shouldn't have got divorced. They had no grounds. Then or, or, or they get remarried, and I tell them, don't do it over the years. I've lost some very, very close friends, very close friends over this. But you know what? It's my job. I have to answer to God, not to my friend. I have to answer to God. It's my job, and it's your job to back me up. If I'm following God's word, you better back me up. It's your job. I remember one guy I had to confront, and he left the church, and he got remarried. And, and I remember one of, one, of the, one of his friends, who's not here anymore, so I can tell this story. I was, I was like, listen, what he's doing is wrong. It's sin. It goes against God's word. He's not going to be blessed. And, and you know, I told him he can't do it. And, and, and you know, really, you should be sticking up for me. He goes, but he's my friend. You know what I said to him? I go, you're not his friend. You're not his friend because you're not telling him the truth. You're caving in to just stay his friend. I, I knew uh, there was another family, not here anymore. I can tell these stories. Uh, another family, so everybody rest easy. Uh, another family, we had to discipline a guy. He, he turned out he was a sexual predator. Now, we, we minister to people of all different struggles. We have no problem. Someone has sexual struggles and, and even gets in trouble, goes to prison. We minister. We know God can set anybody free, transform anybody. We, but we have guards, guards in place. We have a ministry in place where every, there's under accountability and protection so that person doesn't get exposed to tempting situations and nobody in the church can get hurt by that. So we, we take all the, 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 we do it all. But this guy was a predator and strike one. It's not three strikes. Strike one, he was out. He was doing some inappropriate things with his cell phone and pictures with girls, you know, younger girls. And so we, I told him, you got to go. You're done here. Strike one, you're out. He, uh, he, I told, called his home fellowship, and I said, each of them, I called them. I said, listen, I put him under church discipline. Please don't have any contact with him. I didn't tell him why. I just said, we as a church have put him under church discipline. Please don't have any more contact with this individual. And I'll never forget this. One lady gave me a hard time. said, he's my friend. We, we don't go along with what you're saying, Pastor Chuck. Uh, we're we're going to stay friends with him. You can't stop us. This lady had young daughters, and I'm trying to protect her from a predator. <laughs> and she's telling me this, and oh, boy, did the fruit come out later in that family. Boy, oh, boy, did it come out later. 
But this guy, I'm trying to protect her, and she's beating me up over it. I can't tell her everything. Right? And then that guy goes off to another church. And he ends up at this other church, and the pastor from that church calls me up and says, Oh, hey, I'm calling because, you know, this guy ended up at our church. And, uh, you know, but he, he's kind of upset the way you treated him because, you know, you're, you were so hard on him. And I said, What? He goes, Yeah, I just want to tell you, you're, you're wrong. And I said, What? This guy's been in a lot of trouble for crossing the line sexually, you know? And, and so we had these things in place, and he didn't follow me. He goes, well, yeah, but don't you understand, if anyone is in crisis, a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And he starts quoting these verses to me. I go, I know those verses, believe me. I could quote them back to you. But, but you don't understand what you're dealing with here. This is someone who can't be in a dangerous situation, could hurt people. And if you don't listen to me, you're going to be sorry. He goes, no, you're just, finally we, we butted heads, and he, you know, wouldn't listen. A month later, he called me again. What should I do? He, we, we, he was taking pictures of the girls in our church, and, and one of the guys saw him doing it and confronted him in the parking lot and took his phone away and saw the pictures of all our girls in our church on his phone. And what was he going to do with these? And what was he planning on doing? And, you know, and now the church is all upset. They're really upset with me. I go, they should be. You didn't protect them. And he goes, and I'm afraid it's going to blow our church up. I go, it probably will. You should have protected your church. And, but we, I have a tough job. My job is to protect, is to shepherd, to, 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 to defeat the wolves. And I have to answer to God for what I say to you as individuals and what I say to you uh, from the pulpit. I have to answer to God. God will hold me accountable. Hold me accountable for my faithfulness to the word. Did I preach it all to everyone? That's what a lot of guys do. They don't preach it all. They leave some things out because they don't want to upset people, right? Do I preach it all to everyone? And that is the only way I won't be held accountable for the blood. Your blood. Your lives. I have a judge, job, tough job. God's going to hold me accountable for you. For you. But I'm not the only one with a hard job, am I? You also have a tough job. You have been called to witness. You have been called to be salt and light in a very dark world, a very dark culture. It's your job, too. Are we innocent of the blood? Are we innocent of the blood? In Ephesians 4.15, Paul says, instead speaking the truth in love. Do we speak the truth in love? A lot of us all love. We love everybody. But do we speak the truth? Other people are all truth and no love. But do we speak the truth in love? With witnessing, do we witness to people? Do we speak the truth and love to the people that God has brought into our path, that's given us an open door, that he's leading us, compelling us to share our faith with him? Do we do that, or, or do, we not, do we let fear stop us? Fear of losing that person as a friend. Fear of losing, uh, you know, like, 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 let's say they have cancer, right? And uh, they have cancer, and you know of a, a doctor who already cured that particular cancer. You heard the whole story. You know the whole story. But they start telling you about their cancer, but they're a little edgy about it. So you don't tell them because they, you might upset them, right? You don't tell them about that doctor with a cure, right? 
You don't want to lose them as a friend. Of course you tell them. You don't care. You want to save them, right? And the same thing spiritually. Do, do we let our fear of losing them a friend or fear of losing our job or just wanting to be liked, not make waves? And, and also, don't forget, witness includes sharing the truth about sin and repentance. It's not just the gospel, but it's also the, what they're doing could destroy them, could land them in hell someday. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. I hope you have this one memorized. How many times have you heard it? But we, this has to be what we are sharing with people, speaking the truth in love. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Do we share that? That could be what they were. Because that's what we were. But we are washed, sanctified, justified through our faith in Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it could be what they are. Do we, do, do we share that with people? But now back to the original question. What if this was my last Sunday with you? What if it was the last day I would see you? Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I'm innocent of the blood of all men, verse 26 and verse 27. For I have not hesitated to proclaim. I'm already on 27. For I'm not hesitant. <laughs> for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. That. That, what if it's the last day? I hope I could say I'm innocent of the blood of everyone and anyone. Anyone and everyone here. Anyone and everyone who's ever been in my ministry. I hope I can say that. That I never held back proclaiming God's word. Whether it was preaching or counseling, I never held back. And God's word is the key. Paul knew it was the key to survival. Verse 32. Look at what he says to him. Now I commit you to God and the word of his grace. The word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He committed them at the very end to the God's word, the word of his grace. My hope and prayer is that no matter what happens to me, no matter what happens to our church, no matter what happens to our country, you will depend on God's word. You will, you will depend on God, on his word, and on his grace. Is that our foundation today? Is that your foundation? Is that your focus? Are you in the Word? Are you memorizing and living it? Listen, whether you're 10 or whether you're 90, I say the same thing. Pick a verse every week that the Holy Spirit has laid on your heart and memorize it and live it. One a week, memorize it and live it. Make it part of you. That is the, the key to, to not just survive, but to thrive spiritually. To, thr- to, 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 to thrive spiritually. Living by faith in God's grace is the key to survive and to thrive. <laughs> Gotta say that ten times fast. Survive and thrive to live in victory. No matter what's going on, we can live in victory by the power of the Holy Spirit through His Word. That's what we've been focusing on. And the first step. The first step is you might not be a Christian yet. The first step is to put your faith in Jesus Christ.
Christ. Have you ever done that first step before you can survive and thrive and, and win these battles? We have to give our, put our faith in Jesus Christ, give our life to Jesus Christ, receive his Holy Spirit by putting our faith in him. John 3.16, have you ever acted on this? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ, given your life to him, said, God, I don't want the sin anymore, the garbage anymore. I repent of that. I ask Jesus to forgive me. I believe he died on that cross for me. He shed his blood for me to wash me clean, wash, sanctified, and justified. I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I give my life to Jesus Christ. If you do that, the Holy Spirit will come in and make you a new person, and you can, you can live in that victory and have this new life that God has promised. But if you don't do this, and this is why I'm going to give you the other side. If you don't do this, verse 36, John 3:36 says this, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. If you don't put your faith in Jesus Christ, you will spend eternity in hell. It's all over the Bible. Eternal hell. You will be under God's wrath for all of eternity. But you don't have to be. You can put your faith in Jesus Christ. We go right back to John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Let's pray. How is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? How is God working in our hearts through his son Jesus Christ? Maybe you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ. You've never repented of your old life, of the sin. You've never come to the cross of Jesus Christ to be forgiven, washed clean. But the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now. You're ready to take that step of faith. It's already happening in your heart at this very moment. Put an exclamation on it, an exclamation point on it by praying the simple prayer of faith. God, I repent of my sin. I don't want the sin. I don't want the shame. I don't want the garbage. I don't want the world. I don't want Satan's lies anymore. I walk away. I turn away. I repent. I'm asking you to forgive me. Through your son, Jesus Christ. Through the cross that he died on. I'm asking you to forgive me. Because I'm putting my faith in Jesus Christ. my trust, my hope, my dependence, my total faith in Jesus Christ. I give my life to you, God.
if you have prayed that prayer of faith and something amazing has happened inside of you, the Holy Spirit is in you. You are a new creation in Christ. Your life will never be the same here on this earth and for all of eternity. I want to encourage you to let somebody know. If you're here with a family member or a friend or you have a friend that you could tell or tell me on the way out, fill out the card, stick it in the box, text me, call me, let email, let, let somebody know so that we can be excited for you and, and encourage you and help you grow in your new life in Christ. For those of us who are already Christians, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? Are we innocent of the blood of all men, all women, all children? Are we sharing our faith? Are we sharing the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are we being salt and light? Are we willing to be unliked or even hated for Jesus Christ? Will we speak the truth in love? Father, I pray that we would see revival. It may just be a remnant revival. It may be a spiritual awakening, but whatever it is, Lord, I pray that we would be part of what you're going to do, what your purpose is. In Jesus' name, amen.